Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for Atlanta Business Radio, spotlighting the city's best businesses and the people who lead them. Welcome to this very special edition of Atlanta Business Radio. It's time for Customer Experience Radio, brought to you by our good friends at Heineck and Company. Now, here's your host, Jill Heineck. Good morning. Um, this morning, I have with us, I am so excited, we have Horst Schulze, the co-founder and former president and COO of the Ritz-Carlton Hotel Company, and founder and chairman emeritus of the Capella Hotel Group. His visionary and disruptive principles have reshaped excellence, service, and competitive advantage, transcending divisions of industry across the business landscape. Horace left Ritz-Carlton in 2002 and founded the Capella Hotel Group, an ultra-luxury hotel brand with hotels in Europe and Asia. He crafted the company's iconic mission statement, Ladies and Gentlemen, Serving Ladies and Gentlemen, which reflects the value of respect for one's team, instilling a respect for others, our customer, clients, and guests. He is the author of Excellence Wins, and he is a dynamic uh, keynote speaker and is a frequent consultant for global businesses and organizations. And he and his wife, Sherry, live here in Atlanta. Welcome, Horst. I'm glad to be here. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming. We, uh, I have read the book, and like I mentioned to you earlier, I've also listened twice. There are so many nuggets in this book, it's very difficult for me to... Um, I don't think we're going to cover it all. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm sure if you read it, heard, heard it twice and you read it, you're a better person now, aren't you? No? I think so. I think so. We can always learn. Yeah. So we, I wanted to talk a little bit about you know where the idea for this book came from and what compelled you to want to write something. I know it's only your first book, so you it, have a lot to share. It, it is. In fact, I was urged a number of times, and including at a time with a good friend, Stephen Carvey, mm-hmm. He kind of kept on urging me to write a book, and I didn't do it. In fact, he, he called me one day, and I was sitting in the car driving home, and he, he called and said, I'm disappointed in you. You haven't <laughs> written your book yet, and I have written the foreword, but you haven't written the book. And uh, I, I said, I, I'm going to do it, I promise. And soon later, he, he, he died. Uh, Stephen died, mm-hmm. and uh, it was a bad conscience that I, I said, I, Stephen, I have to do it. And I kept my med notes. And, there, and uh, he kept on, on saying, there's an important message that you have to give. And I kept uh, med notes. I got uh, somebody involved to help me to organize it. Mm-hmm. It would have been very convoluted if I wouldn't, somebody <laughs> wouldn't have organized it for me. <laughs> and that is... Uh, uh, Dean Merrill, and uh, we, we got everything together and finally had a book together. And we kept it in my voice, mm-hmm. and, and Dean wanted to do that, but Dean helped dramatically in putting it together. Well, it was great. Did you enjoy that experience of, of putting everything on paper? Yes, it was a great experience. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was, in the beginning, very confusing to me because, as I said, I hit a subject and then I get involved in the subject and talk about that one subject over many years and, mm-hmm. and jump back and forth. That's why organizing was good. But still, it was good to kind of put it all in proper perspective and thought and put it in a way where everybody would understand it. Mm-hmm. That was a great in, important attempt I made that if a young person reads it who's not in business, that that young person is excited reading it, that mm-hmm. there's a story. And on the end, would that young person would say, I can do this. I can be successful. And 
and uh, and 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 it is fun to go to work. Mm-hmm. It is it's a great experience. It's not a chore, something terrible. Uh, uh, working means you're creating something, right? And you're with friends. Mm-hmm. By the way, that's a decision you make. Mm-hmm. If they're friends or not is your decision. <laughs> it's not them. You made a decision. If the people. Right. You make the decision if you like your job or not, not right. the job. Right. It's kind of sad when you think how many people go to work unhappy. Well, whose fault is that? Right? They have to sit down and say, I'm going to be happy. It's about the attitude. Yeah. It's, it's about it, making the decision, the attitude. Mm-hmm. I think everything in life is just making a decision. I often tell the story. I'm, uh, I'm in fact, I'm willing to do it in speeches. I'm married 40 years. I'm still in love. <laughs> that I made that decision. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I hear some people say, we're getting divorced, we don't feel like that. Wait a minute. Who is in charge of feelings here? I am in charge of my feeling. So and that is true with work and with everything. It's true with what, how you see your organization, how you see yourself. What, what it really means, it, you have to be the leader of yourself. Mm-hmm. Leadership doesn't mean only somebody else, a boss leading you. First, the first leadership is you leading yourself and hopefully you lead yourself to excellence. I love that. So let's talk about leading yourself and how, um, how you started in the early days when you were very young and where, how you be, your love for hotels started. Can you talk about well, that? That I don't know. <laughs> I really don't, I, because I, for some reason, I went to my parents when I was 11 years old and said, I want to work in the hotel business. And they said, yes, okay. And we went on, but I kept on saying it. And that was nothing good during that time in Germany. You, you went into a technical shop, you were respected. Mm-hmm. But going to a hotel, that was not respectable. Now, if I would have said, I want to become an engineer, My mother would have told everybody in the village about it because Mm -hmm. that was highly respected. (laughs) But when I said I want to work in a hotel business, after a while, he said, don't tell anybody. (laughs) But I don't know the reason. I must have read something because I've never been in a hotel. Mm -hmm. There is no hotel in my village where I grew up. But after a while, they said, he is so insistent on it. I was throwing myself on the floor crying. (laughs) So, (laughs) So they found through an agency, government agency, how to pursue the career, found eventually a hotel, the best hotel in the region, which unfortunately was 100 kilometers away. Mm-hmm. At that time, that was very far. Mm-hmm. I was of going there, and, and a very, but a very fine hotel. So, so I left home when I was 14, living in a dorm room in the hotel and working, working hard at the time. My kids don't like to hear that. <laughs> We worked 20 hours and walked through the snow. No, no snow. No. So those days you were working 12, 15-hour days. No kidding. Oh, right. yeah, no kidding. And, and I, I, you, you did that without giving it thought. Mm-hmm. That was norm. Right. You started often, you start for breakfast before 7 mm-hmm. and finish 10, 11 o'clock in the night. That was not unusual. And what you did, you helped serving, have cleaning, uh, wash dishes, clean the floor, Washed uh, clean shoes in the corridors that the guests put outside for cleaning, the typical European, and so on. So it, uh, you, you went to bed when they were finished with your work, and the next day you went on. Right. Uh, frankly, I enjoyed it all the time. 
It was, I, I had, I was lucky. There was a maitre d' that the man in charge of all the food and beverage operation of the hotel who right. told us kids, there were a few other kids who started at the same time, told us, day one, don't work for work. Come here to be excellent. Well, went over my head at the time, 14 years old, and washing dishes, cleaning floors, is not, not so excellent, but there's a lot of fun uh, surrounding. The surrounding is beautiful. It took me a while to get his point, mm -hmm. and, and it kind of lived with me. Why go to work as, and see it as something negative? Why not going to work to be creating, to create excellence? Mm -hmm. And and I made, a, made my mind up at the time, and I was just saying, I go to work for two reasons, to create excellence and to be with my friends. Mm -hmm. Anybody I work with, if that's the dishwasher or whatever, that doesn't mean I barbecue with them at mm -hmm. work, but I enjoy being with them and help them and support them and, and get their support and help mm -hmm. and create something excellent. So let's talk about that and how that led to the creation of the Ritz Carlton Hotels. Well, uh, one thing, that I got back to the Metodi for a second. Um, I, I went to hotel school once a week. That's a typical German way of growing up. I worked in that place as an apprentice for three and a half years, went to hotel school. And after two years, the teacher in hotel school asked us to write an essay what we now think about the business. Mm -hmm. Now, going back when I started first there, my mother and everybody said, now, now that we have this job, this is a very fine hotel. We could never go on there. The only ladies and gentlemen go there, important people. It's not for us, now behave yourself accordingly and so on. Now, two years further, in hotel school, the teacher asked us to write an essay, what we now feel about this industry. Mm -hmm. Going back to work, I reflected on this major D. This gentleman who would have never entered the room unless he looked perfect. This gentleman who only created excellence and everything he do, he did and helped us and explained to us. I saw him that night approaching a table and for the first time I realized the guests at that table were proud that he came to them. And I thought, this is true all around. Mm -hmm. The guests think that he is the most important person in the room, mm -hmm. so did we the employees. That was a reversal. We were supposed to be the servants. I was told that first day by the general manager, we are the servants, they are important. My mother had told me that too, <laughs> my father. So I reflected and wrote my essay, and I named that essay, we are ladies and gentlemen, serving ladies and gentlemen. If, unless we sentence ourselves to be servants, if we're excellent in what we're doing, we're defining ourselves as ladies and gentlemen. It occurred to me for the first time that we define ourselves. But to that time, I had no private time. I could only define myself at work. But let's face it, you don't define yourself at home when you watch TV. <laughs> you, know, you define yourself what you do at work and be excellent in what you're doing and enjoy it, whatever it may be. Create excellence. I, I, I honestly mean this. I have met dishwashers in, in my many years that came to work to be excellent and created excellence in what they were doing. It's great to see that you know, you've, you've witnessed it at every level. Every level. And every department of exactly. the business. Exactly. Right? And so 
where was where was the um how did the the basis of the Ritz Carlton start? Well, uh, after the, after I left that place, I worked in the honestly finest hotels in Europe. Mm-hmm. I don't just say that right. loosely. I worked in the best hotels in Place Arden in Paris and the Savoy in London and so on, Bourbon Palace, Montauban, etc. And then I came to the United States, and for with the intent to work here for a year or two, I worked for Hilton. And uh, got stuck in in the country, if you will. <laughs> uh, but I, I'm very legal, by the way. It's just <laughs> let's make it very clear, uh, very legal. And I'm a citizen by now. So I, I got got involved, worked for Hilton, and then joined Hyatt, and uh, was promoted in Hyatt. I, I was director of food and beverage, director of rooms, general manager, regional vice president, ten hotels, corporate vice president, sixty five hotels. And then somebody called me and said, we are starting a new hotel company. We have two hotels in construction in Atlanta. We need somebody to run the operations. Not our company, the operations of the company. And uh, I, I had no interest because I had my golden handcuffs with Hyatt. I had everything I wanted. My friend, it's a great company, great people. But they kept on talking to me. I started to think, what would I do with that company? If I'm an operationally in charge, they were investors, developers, and so on. And I started dreaming, and uh, the dream started to control me. <laughs> and in 19, end of 1982, I moved to Atlanta. And uh, a little bit over a year later, we opened our first hotel, which was the Ritz-Carlton Buckhead, mm-hmm. Atlanta. It is not the Ritz-Carlton anymore. That was, for me, that was like burning my birth certificate. <laughs> As, as the name was taken down. So, so I moved here and we started this hotel and with a whole philosophy that was put in my heart by this matter D because I was thinking about him when I was dreaming. And I said, I will create a hotel company. I know the leaders of the world at the moment. It was Hyatt, it was Hilton International, Intercontinental. And I said, I know I can do it a little better. What, what did that mean? How, what, what means better? Is it a huge secret? No. Let's be a little friendlier. Let's be absolutely cleaner. Let's be a little more timely. Let's care a little bit more about the customer. And that's what it's all about. Let's create excellence for the customer, for mm-hmm. the market. So I came here and looked at what would we do, how, uh, and, and uh, created, the, worked on the image. Uh, mind you, in the beginning, here in Atlanta, mind you, I was 84, uh, putting tea service with Wedgwood China and chamber music in the lobby. Some people thought I was nuts. It was Simple one, as that. One of my favorites. What is this? <laughs> <laughs> my, my, some of my 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 uh, my uh, uh, exec said, "What is chamber music?" <laughs> <laughs> so, so, but I did it for image. Mm-hmm. Uh, had uh, many people remember Gunter Seger, who I hired mm-hmm. a gourmet super gourmet chef. I know that would backfire for a while, and uh, at a time, and but he became helped to create the image, uh, and so. Uh, to be frank, that was very difficult because the hotel, frankly, was built to be a Holiday Inn. Mm, interesting. That, and, the, and the downtown Iskand was built to be a Marriott. Mm-hmm. But when, when Bill Johnson, the developer, could not come to agreement with those companies, that's when somebody recommended, why don't you start your own hotel company? Mm. So I, I had the first hotel I had, which I was running, obviously, was Buckhead. Mm-hmm. So I had to take a building that was a Holiday Inn building 
and made it an ultra luxury hotel. And so, and, and uh, it wasn't smart strategically to have two hotels, 1,100 rooms in the ultra luxury segment in one city. Right. But we created the image here, it, it expanded, and of course, 20 years later, we were uh, totally clearly regarded and voted to be the best hotel company in the world. Not only that, the best brand in the world. Mm-hmm. So most people will always associate Ritz-Carlton with luxury. And we talked a little bit about now what we're seeing in the marketplace is affordable luxury and ultra luxury. Yes. So can you speak to a little bit about that? Yeah, the whole issue of luxury has changed. Mm -hmm. Uh, When we started Ritz-Carlton, luxury was chandeliers, uh, real oil paintings, uh, oriental rugs, marble, and so on. In the mind of the ultra luxury customer, and we'll explain that for a moment, that's not luxury. Luxury to the ultra luxury customer is to say, say do it my way. Mm-hmm. Here's how I want it, and you better do it my way. I don't care about your rules as a, as an, as a business. I want X. So that so and that developed started developing about twenty years ago when the present luxury hotel groups kind of the customer split in the two. One is, uh, and, and that is ultra-luxury and affordable luxury. Ultra-luxury, and, and I th- when I retired after nearly 20 years, uh, traveling 250 days a year, mm. I, I retired on, on the weekend. I realized my neighbor retired. I talked to him too because he wanted to do what he likes, playing golf. <laughs> Well, I like to play hotels. <laughs> so I said to my wife on Monday, I'm going to do it one more time. She immediately declared me insane and in fact wanted to call a doctor. <laughs> but, but after a few days, my wife, being who she is, said, that's who you are. I support you. So I started Capella, an ultra-luxury hotel company. We have a number of hotels in Asia and Europe. What's the difference? Uh, we, we're not... We, not have, we only have smaller hotels, up to 100 rooms, because the ultra-luxury customer doesn't like uh, conventions. Okay. We, we, we do for the customer anything, as long as it's legal, moral, and ethical, <laughs> we do it. We call the customer beforehand and said, when you come here to Singapore, let's say, what can we do for you? Do you have an allergy, a diet? What do you want us to do for you in Singapore? We are here for you. Uh, no check-in time, no check-out time. Hours operation are irrelevant. Whatever you want, when you want it, you get it. It, it is total concentration. Of course, we have to charge for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is fantastic because that that is the ultra-luxury customer is looking for the experience that they envision in their own minds. That's, that's and correct. you're there to deliver that experience that's right. to at all costs. That's right. You know? That's right. Like you said, within limits, like it has to be legal. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, it, it will happen. You, you will see in the, my industry, it's developing more and more in the sleeping commodities. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. Right. People get upset with me, some brands, and say, well, well it's, it's okay. Because I too, I went to New York the other day, got there at 11 o'clock, checked in, checked out next morning at 6. Mm-hmm. What do I need then? I don't need an experience. I need a great, clean room. Right. That's what I need. But if I stay longer, I want to count on you to respond to me to other needs that I may have right. while I'm there. And that is the ultra-luxury office that. Uh, you, you will pretty soon, even in luxury brands, you would check in with your app, you will never see anybody. You right. go to your room, you, you, the, 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 uh, 
safety. Your, your, your telephone is your key, and you're there. And then you check out the next one without ever seeing anybody. That's a sleeping commodity, which is happening even to the luxury brands. Mm -hmm. And then developing are the independent hotels and small ultra-luxury groups that are there for the experience, right. for, for anything you want, that you can rely on for anything. Right. So that is what's happening. And of course, that, that extra that you get, it's called service. Right. That's called service. Now, service seems to be a confusing word in the world today because even, even organizations have the word service in their name. Mm. That, when you ask them what it really is, they have no idea. Right. The definition is it's yes. not it's not clear. It's not clear, absolutely. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and, it, and and there is no no delivery, no no creation of that product which is called service. Mm -hmm. Right. So we look at it as um, in our business, um, in the real estate businesses, you know, you want to create the best experience during the transaction that you possibly can. It's we're looking to um, look ahead and anticipate the, the customer need, right? Yes. And, and deliver this experience. And the service part of it is that we've, we're anticipating everything and informing you about everything along the way so that there, when there's ever a hiccup, yeah. we already have that plan in place to yeah. take care of the customer. Well, focusing on the customer Correct. and focusing on their need and trying to take care of their need and wishes. Not serving myself in that moment. The moment the customer is in front of me, I'm there too understand to feel to focus what is there what is best for them and then deliver what is very best for them in a very caring way in a very responsive caring way and of course and of course i had to rely that 24000 employees around the world do that so consequently i had to create processes to do it and, you know, the, the fascinating, and I explained that all very careful in the book, how to do it, why to do mm -hmm. it, and, and how to deliver that, as you know. And, and, and mind you, we were the leader in every market segment where we were, if that was Japan or China or Germany or, or wherever we were. We accomplished that. How? It's not a great secret. I explain it. <laughs> uh, we, we, we concentrated on the market. And it's, and anyway, and we knew the expectation of the customer. Right. The, the fascinating thing is that when you buy, purchase anything, it doesn't matter what it is, a house, mm -hmm. real estate, a car, a bottle of water, which happens to be one in front of me. <laughs> what, what do you expect subconsciously when you purchase this bottle of water or whatever it is? You expect that the product is defect-free. Mm-hmm. You don't want anything to swim in there, you know, so <laughs> I don't want it a leak. But that's a subconscious expectation. Right. You expect to get it timely when you want it. Mm -hmm. And next, you expect that the people who give it to you are nice to you. Mm -hmm. here's, the, here's the crazy thing. We have all kind of processes to make sure that the bottle of water is fine, the company has or whatever. They have all kind of processes to deliver it in time. But there's no process that the people are nice. <laughs> the service process doesn't exist. That's hoped for. Mm -hmm. Even the name service may be in the, in the, in the company's name. Now, but here's the craziest thing. We know also unequivocally that the greatest driver of customer satisfaction is the being nice piece. <laughs> so why wouldn't we have a process in that? And that 
And that again is is the, is what kind of the essence of the book to to explain that mm-hmm. and explain how to accomplish it. Just like there should be a process in creating the water defect free, the bottle of water or the car or the house or whatever. There should be a process of delivering care careful service everywhere. Right. And uh, and and you can't rely you can't hope on it. But it seems that service, even when the company advertises service. You go in there and ask, what's your process to accomplish this? This caring doesn't exist. Mm. They hope it somehow happened. Mm-hmm. Hope isn't a strategy, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the interesting thing about that is I feel that the service industry is reactionary, whereas the excellence, yeah. quote-unquote, industry or where we are in the service lane um, we are there to anticipate everybody's needs and yeah. to create an experience yeah. so that we're going to create loyalty. And we're going to, cre- and that's how the business sustains yeah. because you're consistently Absolutely. delivering this experience. And so customer service is the window in the back of the back of the building where you're complaining, complaining, complaining. Now, not to say that there's not opportunity there to create an additional yeah. experience yeah. or, or be creative with some excellence. Yeah. Um, but, where would you say is, I mean, I know this, the process of service has to be, tra- you have to learn how to be a skilled service provider. Yeah. And so would you say that a lot of the training that you've done with your past teams has been in this vein where you're talking about service or you're just talking about the delivery of the experience? No, the, the, I, I'll explain the overall system, the various processes that we have to make sure that my my doorman in, in Osaka is nice to the arriving guest or, 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 mm-hmm. or the doorman or bellman or any employee anywhere. Right. But the key element that you touched on for a second is I want to create loyal customers. A great company, number one, wants to have loyal customers. That, that, and you cannot encroach it with anything else you do. You want loyal customers. Uh, every employee of ours knows if you go in. And if you would ask any employee, it doesn't, or dishwasher, pot, it doesn't matter, what is your function? They will say, I'm here to convince the guests to want to come back by what I'm doing. So how I'm going to create that type of an employee? So I, I have to create that mm-hmm. because my product is between the moment between my employee and the customer. That's the product. That interaction is mm-hmm. my product. Mm-hmm. I'm not. I'm not producing bedspreads or, right. or, or t- mattresses. I produce this moment. Mm-hmm. So how I'm going to produce? And again, it's carefully described here. I mu- first of all, I have to select the right employees. Mm-hmm. I can't just hire. I have to have a clear profile for every job category and hire people to that job category. Next, I have to hire them not to fulfill their function. I have to hire them to join me on my objective and mm-hmm. my dream and my vision and my purpose and give them purpose at the same time. In Ritz-Carlton, we hire people, join us to create the finest brand in the world. Don't come here to work. Join me in this dream. And then I connect the employee in the orientation to the motive of my dream. Mm-hmm. The motive is so we can grow, so that you have opportunity. 
By the way, the millennials want to hear that. The millennials say, mm -hmm. what's in it for me? Right. Well, tell them. Here is what we undergo, join me. By the way, here's how it's good for you. Because we'll grow, that gives you opportunity. We will be highly respected, that means you will be respected. We'll be honored, that means you will be honored. We'll, we'll, we'll be busy and make money, that means you make my money, etc., etc., etc. You will be here, you will be defined as a, as a member of the greatest organization of the world. You have created it in, in a way. And I, I wasn't... A couple of years ago, the five-star award in New York, where all the five-star managers of the world come and get awarded Forbes Award. And, and the, the Forbes uh, introducer said that Horst Schulze is in the room. Everybody stood up and applauded. <laughs> Wait a minute, did they applaud me? No. They applauded the image of Ritz Carlton, mm -hmm. which also reflected that every every other employee mm -hmm. and, and I can tell you now if, an, if a Ritz-Carlton employee looks for a job and a hundred others the Ritz-Carlton employee former employee gets it because they have the image of being excellent mm -hmm. and I invite we, we invite people to join this effort to, to be excellent together to be recognized together and by the way but that by the way means you have to fulfill your function better than our competitor does. Absolutely. So we, we, we select right, we orient right. Mm -hmm. it, it got to an orientation in any company. Mm -hmm. Look here, I see it all the time. I work with many companies. The new guy comes to work and there's Bill and the boss makes his pathetic team speech. <laughs> Forgive me. We are a team here. Wait a minute. If you're a team, you have to give up and have to tell them the objective. A team has a common objective and help each other to the objective. But that's not being discussed. It's just we're a team. Mm -hmm. And then Bill, work with Joe. He, is, he knows the ropes. And not doing any ropes, but somehow Bill knows ropes. And I don't know. Somehow they get together and talk. I don't know. what. That's no orientation. Orientation, I'm, I'm, in, I'm telling you. Everybody, every new employees, by the way, every new Ritz-Carlton or takeover Ritz-Carlton, 55 of them, anywhere in the world, I did the orientation and said, here's who we are. Join us. Here's our dream. Be part of it. Don't come here to work. Join our, join our dream. But by the way, I expect a lot of work too. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, we don't make the dream. There is beauty in the dream. Let's have fun. Let's be friends. And, and so it was a team that was unbelievable. I ran into a guy last night in a small airport in Texas. And he, he comes up and says, always, I didn't, wouldn't have recognized him. Mr. Schulz, Mr. Schulz. And, and he said, I, I have to thank you for the, the, the environment that we grew up with. That's what I'm doing in my business now. Everything, what the fun it was, it, was, it, it can't be repeated, but we did together. We had fun together. We made a decision to have fun together. So the process was selecting, orienting, training, but then we sustained it. Mm -hmm. Everything that they learned the first three days, we, prop we carefully taught 20 points. Mm -hmm. So we repeat everyone, every day, one of those points. Mm -hmm. Today, in every hotel, it may be point 12. If somebody asks for direction, don't point, take them there. We teach that today. Tomorrow is point 13 and so on. In 20 days, is point 12 is there again. And you heard it again. So the key elements that make us superior to the competition, we drive home and drive home and drive home and drive home. 
day one. <clears throat> and every day from there on will be repeated. You know it, but you listen to it again. And we did that in my office. We did it everywhere. That's incredible. And I think to your point, it's the repetition. Yeah. And it's becoming ingrained. And then it's just, it's a natural connection to the, to yeah. the client. Yeah, exactly. But, and, and the interesting is after doing that for months and months, people get kind of, particularly the managers get kind of bored. Well, they know mm -hmm. it already. Mm-hmm. And I found they don't do it everywhere. And I said, why not? Well, everybody really knows it. I, I, said, I don't care. You see, and then I had my, all my managers together and said, anybody in the room who doesn't know Coca-Cola, raise your hand. Nobody raised their hand. So I said, oh, they know that you know what Coca-Cola is, yet they spend billions to advertise. Guess why? You have to keep it alive in everybody's mind. That's right. It's no different with the, with the essentials of the organization. Right. So tell me uh, what you're seeing now as if when you're consulting with companies that are um, expanding their talent pool to the millennial or the younger set and, and where their hard work and creativity is coming into the workplace. How, how, are your, how are your clients and or managers of the hotels really engaging with this set? Yeah, well, uh, there, there is a transition happening. That's very clear. What the men, again... And, and what I just explained about the whole orientation, the hiring and the, and the inviting, that it has, it's more important than ever because the manelian says, what's in it for me? Mm -hmm. Why should I do that? You see, we thought that too, but we were afraid to say it. <laughs> that was a key element. Mm -hmm. We thought, what's in it for me? Why would I do that? The millennial has no problem asking it, saying it. So we have to, from the very beginning, you have to create that environment. Here's why. I mean, by the way, Adam Smith, 300 years ago, I mean, this is, I find this thing fascinating. When he wrote Wealth of Nation, he wrote another book, which he was more proud than Wealth of Nation. He said at the time already, people cannot relate to orders and direction. <laughs> people can only relate, relate to objective and motive. Mm -hmm. Uh, Aristotle wrote that having purpose in life mm -hmm. but the millennial says I want to have a purpose if it's worthwhile for me mm -hmm. so you show them the purpose and show them the connection to your motive of that purpose and you have to keep on doing that very clearly and you have to make it very clear uh, to them even, they like to hear that I'm not hiring to work here mm -hmm. I'm hiring some higher purpose mm -hmm. That is, and show it to them very clearly, paint it, make it very clear. That vision. Now, as a leader, when you develop that vision, you have to ask yourself, agonize, <laughs> question, really question yourself is this vision good for all concerned? Is it good for my investors? Of course. Without investors, I want to have a business. Mm -hmm. Is it good for my customers? It must be, otherwise, you won't be in business. Is it good for every employee? It must be, otherwise you won't be in business. In addition to, is it good for society? Once the question is an unequivocal yes, you now can share it with everybody. And now you share it with the millennials because they like that. Mm -hmm. They like that. They want, they want to see that you're not just there to drive business, money for the investor, right. but your, 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 your heart and your whole objective is encompassing all concerned. Mm -hmm. And it's essential to show them that. They buy into those things. 
They do. And they, they're, they're buying into also, you know, what good the company is doing in the world. Yeah. And as well as knowing that they're part of something bigger than themselves. Well, as I said, it has, even your vision has to be good for society. They want to, you have to show them that. Right. And, and after it has to be defined, has to, it isn't just say, here's a point. No. What does this point do? Uh, What does it do in the future for all concerned? And you show them that. And they buy in. They buy in, and all of a sudden they realize they're not just working for somebody to make more money. Right. There's, there's much more to it, and there's much more beauty to it. And, and, and all of a sudden, work becomes, work is something absolutely fabulous. What do you want to do instead going to work? What, what do right. you want to do? How, how many days can you play golf or whatever the heck you're doing? Right. Or, or watch TV. No, don't, don't watch TV and see others produce and think, go yourself and produce excellent. This is um, this is how you're empowering the team. That's this right. is how companies empower. And um, I wanted to speak to wanted you to talk a little bit about how you empowered your team early <laughs> on. <laughs> and we talk, we can talk about um, a woman named Mary. Yeah, <laughs> but <laughs> the, the empowering piece remind me of the rest. <laughs> the empowering piece is was very important to me because and let's face it, we have two passwords in business. There's still only passwords to the greatest extent. One is alignment. Mm-hmm. And, and you align people when you, when you orient, show them where you're going to go on, show them who your customers think, show them who you are. You align them truly to your soul, to your heart, to your function, to everything. You let them know everything. If you don't do that, if you just tell them we're a team here and turn them over to somebody else here, not aligning. Right. Alignment is in every employee you know. If, I go, if you go into any Hotels and ask any employee what's the vision of this company. They will tell you. They know it. It's not written in the daily in the annual report. So we asked people to join us, to be ladies and gentlemen, to work with us. And here's who we are. And and then of course we found that some customers, no matter I guess, no matter what, are unhappy. <laughs> so we taught problem a solution. Mm-hmm. And the interesting is there are three types of customers. The unhappy one that becomes a, a terrorist against the organization. The satisfied one who goes next door if they have a better deal. And the loyal one. So I want loyal customers mm-hmm. and I want employees to help with that. So, so I, but I knew if, we, if a problem happens and the expectations are very high in the risk garden, so the smallest thing they will complain about, if that complaint is handled well, I can move them from dissatisfaction to loyal right away. Mm-hmm. So, so who do they complain to? Not to me, to the employee. So I had to empower the employee to move heaven and earth to keep the customer. So I came out with, <laughs> with the direction that every employee is empowered to make a decision up to $2,000 to make the guest, guest happy mm-hmm. if something negative happened. Well, that created a... Nuclear explosion. <laughs> I mean, to, you want every employee to give two thousand dollars? <laughs> it's no. discretionary. No, no, it's discretionary. Totally, totally. But you, they can make a decision. I will not question them. Mm-hmm. No, no, nobody ever gave two thousand dollars. A guest may have come down and said, "You know, I I didn't like my room," and the waiter said, "I'm so sorry. Forgive me." Mm-hmm. Everybody wants to complain. We teach that. In fact, I feel so bad, I will buy your breakfast. Now, the guests will be shocked. 
and totally moved from anger to total loyalty. Mm-hmm. And that's what I wanted because I knew statistically my the customer in front of you may be worth $200,000 lifetime. Mm-hmm. I'm willing to spend something to keep that customer. For us, number one in the company, keep the customer. And that was a reaction to that. So the customer is always right? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> but the customer I, is the focal point and yeah, the experience I, of the customer. I, I, I absolutely focus on the customer. The customer has... The customer is a, a one employee in the beginning when I when I introduced here, we are ladies and gentlemen, servant ladies and gentlemen. In fact, the doorman turned out to be a great guy, to, said, well, Mr. Schultz, not everybody guests behave like ladies and gentlemen. I said, true. That's not our judgment <laughs> to make. We respect right. everybody as ladies and gentlemen. Now, now some of them will, and, and I had situation where some of them be, in fact, ev- be evicted customers. They were just impossible, and that is a very, very, very small percentage. We, in fact, know that uh, that uh, 69, uh, 69%, no, 96%, excuse me, 96% of all complaints, all the guests wants that somebody recognizes and says, I'm sorry. And they're just frustrated. Mm-hmm. They want to get rid of it. And as soon as somebody says, I'm sorry, please forgive me, they're kind of shocked. They're nearly embarrassed that they even said it. So, and that three plus percent, and that's always over, over uh, nearly close to, to 97 percent, but there's three percent plus that have a legitimate gripe where remedies should be met. Mm-hmm. And then there's a very fraction of percentage points that we call is the jerk factor. <laughs> they all know that one. <laughs> they, they just exist. Right. That's it. Right. And to ignore that. But however, I empowered everything except the decision who is a jerk and who is not. Right. That I didn't empower. When something very seriously happened, you, where, they, where you feel he's a real jerk and we have to do something, you call me and if, if you're in Osaka, you can call me in the middle of the night. That's mm-hmm. fine. Or in Bali, it doesn't matter. Worldwide, nobody makes a decision. Otherwise, every complaint is pushed into the jerk factor. Right. It, it, it doesn't go. So that's the one thing I didn't empower. No, but it's uh, when I read through the book, it sounded like there was um, always one or two that showed up at all the different hotels. Yeah. And he, the managers would call each other or call you and yeah. say, oh, he's <laughs> Here he is again. Yeah, I, I know. He's still loyal, though. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's, uh, I mean, it's, it's unbelievable. Some of the stuff, and I, 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 I just related one of those things in the, in the book. I, I, I could, I could write another book on that. Obviously, over my sixty years in the business, you know. Wow, sixty years. Yeah. So, tell us a little bit about what you are doing today. I'm consulting. I'm making speeches. I'm on the Washington Speakers Bureau. I charge a lot for a speech, <laughs> so, and, and I do consulting with several companies, some great companies. And in fact, I, we talked before. I'm I came back last night from I'm consulting with a small bank, which I'm going to predict. Like well, I can't get the, give the name, but I would make a wager and give huge odds that in ten years they will be the leading financial organization in America. Why am I saying that? They truly say we want to focus on the customer. We want to take. We want to be here 
for the customer mm -hmm. and do what the customer needs and pay attention to customer. And I'm teaching them how to do this. I have trained all the trainers. I finished training the trainers last night. We have over 200 people trained to train the rest of the organization. We set up the parameters and everything. And I make any bet because they focus on the customer. By the way, they take the book as a teaching material too. Mm -hmm. and, and with total concentration, every employee has to read it. There's book reviews until every employee is true it mm -hmm. and understand the customer counts. Mm -hmm. It's not about us. It's not about what my mother-in-law tells me or the guy besides me in the plane thought. Right. It's about the market and the individual in front of you that they care about. And I have never seen anybody much more committed. I work with a medical group who is doing the same thing. I work with several companies and I make speeches not only in America, and it just was in Europe. I have a couple more speeches this year in Europe for large organizations, including the Swiss Postal Service and so on. <laughs> so, so that's what I do. Different types, all yeah. different businesses yeah. now. I'm also, of course, still connected with Capella. I mm -hmm. sold Capella. Right. Uh, and, and, and Capella is, is fabulous. Mm -hmm. I'm still slightly connected with them. By the way, uh, anybody who's never heard of Capella, you have. When you, when you, I'm sure most people watched when Kim met Trump the first time in Singapore, while that was in the Capella Hotel. Oh. You saw it. So <laughs> most of you have seen it. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. yeah. Very interesting. Good PR. Do you have a, um, a tip or advice for our listeners on, you know, what could they do today to start really focusing on that experience with the customer? Um, something specific that you can take back, that they could take back to their offices today? Yes. It is, it's the simple thing that I touch on. It's this customer focus. You have to understand, understand something here. The customer makes a decision about you. That sounds crazy, but they do. And you make you, listeners, you in front of me, everybody, myself, we cannot help it. We make a decision about an organization the moment when we make contact with them. And we make a decision about a human being when we come within nine feet of them. So why not make that moment a moment of excellence? Because subconsciously, you put the customer in front of you within nine feet into a positive mode or a negative one. So that's why we taught, whatever you're doing, if a guest comes within 10 feet about, you look up and you give a great greeting and concentrate for that moment on that customer and create that positive feeling. We, had, we have analyzed when the first contact was excellent, never ever a complaint followed. <laughs> It's interesting. When the first contact was negative, always did a complaint follow about slow service or about something. So, and the behavioral analyst will tell you that. And it doesn't matter what society tells you, all kind of garbage. You know, it looks skin deep and all that. Oh, sure. But the fact is you're a human being. You cannot help it. You make right. subconscious decisions. So why not take advantage of that? Right. And be exceptionally nice. The first moment, welcome. Not, hey, <laughs> if I say hi, I'm saying you're the same than I am. Mm. If I said, good morning, sir, I'm saying I respect you and I am very professional. So those are the biggest tip I can create. 
put the right frame of mind into that customer and don't focus on what they want. Don't, fo- don't look somewhere else and, think, and give the impression that you don't care. Pay attention and pay attention. Listen. If you say too many things, you're obnoxious. <laughs> if you don't say enough, you're rude. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> be careful. Don't be, but don't be too elegant. Mm-hmm. Elegance without warmth is arrogance. Right. Those are the little things that you have to understand and teach yourself. After every, after every customer transaction, that's what I did as a waiter. After, every time after I took an, an order from the a table order, for the food or whatever. The moment when I actually communicate with the customer, I walked away and said, how could I have done that better? Did I say too much? Did I say too little? After every customer transaction, say, how could I have done that better? Could I have convinced them a little bit more to want to be here and deal with me? Teach yourself. Make a decision to be excellent. I love that. Now we'll just have to clone that (laughs) and keep repeating that over and over and over again. Horst, thank you so much for for joining us today. Um, Can you tell us where we can find the book? You can Amazon, obviously, and, and, and bookstores it has is in bookstores, Amazon.com. If you want to do more, you can text Horst 797979. Oh, excellent. So, and then you'll send the book right then, out? No, then we, then we connect you and sell you something else. No, 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 no. I'm pushing I'm not a pusher. But, but you can get more information and help. We have, we have companies that we, we have, we have, we have modules, training modules and so on. Excellent. Anyway, yeah. It's an excellent book, Excellent Wins by Hort Schulze. And you can find it again on Amazon and anywhere books are sold. Thank you so much for joining us Great today. to be with you. Thank you. Thank you.